0: Gail told you, um, I've been sick this last week, and I know that uh, there's a lot of flu going around Santa Fe, so I thought possibly, uh, since you made that so obvious, I would (laughs) talk about it. Uh, As a matter of fact, I had to get up and clap just to show you that I could stand up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought maybe I would begin just by talking a little bit about that, since... uh, The flu season is upon us. Nothing is a mistake in terms of absolute truth. The world is answered. A Course in Miracles says that this whole dream took but an instant. And in that instant, it was answered. Answered. Every part of it was answered. Answered. Another way of saying that is, everything that will happen to you has been anticipated and blessed. And so there are two things. There is the original intention, the ego intention. And then there is the blessing that has been made of it. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, whatever is happening around you, there are two things before you. And you may choose which you will receive into your heart. Either the attack of the ego or the blessing of the Holy Spirit or of God or Christ or of your higher self or whatever term you like to use for truth. And so even an illness can bring us good insights that help us. It can be a step forward. And that's been the case with this particular one for me. Every time that I get sick, I learn a little bit more as to how I do this to myself. And I'm able to avoid it a little bit better each time. Whether or not the time will come in which I can walk through the world without ever getting sick. I don't know. I don't know if I will get that far along. I don't know if any of you will ever get that far along. And it is not a worthwhile goal. Because the ego judges illness as something different, something set apart. And so the ego thinks that when we choose to be sick, it's different than uh, choosing to uh, ride on the roller coaster or to eat a bean burrito. Uh, and, it, of course, it's no different. All choices in the world are the same. And as long as we are in the world, we will be making some choices. Now, of course, a time comes in which we choose to withdraw from the world. We, ch- we choose to step back from the world. We do not choose to abandon anyone, but we do choose to begin to cut down on the number of stimuli that are calling to our particular ego so that our path becomes simpler and more direct. Those of you who have um, cleaned out your house and simplified your environment, Know the feeling of uh, almost a, a light feeling that comes about even from cleaning out just one room or just one section of a room. Just when you walk past that one area, you can you can almost feel that it is lighter. There is all. It's almost as if there is less whirl there. Of course, there's not less whirl there, but there is. There are fewer stimuli there, and possibly. If you've gone through that process of um, getting rid of what you truly don't need, what uh, upsets you or what carries with it sad memories, or just a sense of clutter and glut and so forth, then you have probably seen why there are some people who choose to live in a cave and have no possessions at all you begin to see how every possession in the world has a little string of cans behind it. Little streamers, little little consequences and ramifications. And so, for example, you can't even bring some cut flowers into your house. As I think I've given this example before because I remember the time that I brought some cut flowers into the house. It seemed like such an innocent thing to do. And, of course, it's perfectly all right to do this. I'm not saying that you shouldn't bring cut flowers, but I'm just saying what more innocent thing could you do than that? And uh, I I can remember all the things that happened about the cut flowers. First of all, we had to put down a little piece of paper so uh, the water wouldn't stain the table. Then there was the question of uh, who should empty the water and put new water in. Whose duty was it to do that? in the household. And uh, then there was a the question of whose duty was it to remove the wilted flowers and just leave the... Then there was the question of should the cat be allowed to nibble? <laughs> this is very important. If you just move a piece of furniture, there are ramifications. If you do anything in the world, there are ramifications. If you just sit in your chair, there are ramifications. So all choices have ramifications. But of course, what we do is we learn to cut down on these so that our life becomes simpler and simpler. Now, as I said last Sunday, in answer to a question, illness is always at least that much. It is a call to us to cut back but on an ego level it is a call to abandon and retreat in isolation and loneliness so you must watch out that although you're being asked to to cut back you must not abandon you must not you must not withhold your blessing because you're sick even if you must be by yourself even if you must be in your room or in your bed And so the first day that I was in bed, I did not do this. I simply went in and I um, closed the door. And I felt extremely anxious. And I was trying to figure out why was I feeling so anxious about being in bed. I knew that it was the best thing for me to do physically. It wasn't until the next day that I realized that I had withdrawn my mind from my family. And that this was not necessary. And so the second day that I was in bed, I kept my mind gently resting on my family. I told anybody that needed any help or wanted to talk to me about anything to please come in. Because they didn't do that the first day. As a matter of fact, I found out that there was someone who wanted to talk to me and didn't come in. Because I had sort of barricaded myself in there, he said. And I didn't have the anxiety. And the healing process, of course, was speeded up by that simple move. Now, the second thing that's always true about illness, and we didn't talk about this last time, is that illness is always a form of self-punishment. Now, it is Almost always a mistake to ask yourself, why did you get sick? Because almost all questions come from the ego. Only the question, a question such as, am I in the presence of God right now? A question like that, only a question like that does not come from the ego. Any question that can be answered in the present and that brings you peace, that's a happy question. Any question that's a happy question, of course, does not come from the ego. But so often, questions are not happy. And it's, this is true of illness. It's best, usually, not to ask yourself, why did you get sick? Because there is no answer to that question. You're not in a position to figure it out. And so, your ego is merely trying to figure out a way for you to blame yourself and to add condemnation on top of uh, feeling bad. I went to a, um, an all-Christian science uh, school when I was a boy. I was in uh, high school there. And the general assumption was that if you were sick, you are not doing your work. That was the uh, term. You haven't been doing your work. And boy, I tell you, if you got sick, you didn't admit it, because you would get, uh, this is at that particular time, I'm sure this school has changed by now, but at that particular time, you would get this, there's one sort of avenging angel counselor, I remember, used to visit any boy who was sick, and he would really castigate you. You haven't been doing your work. If you would just do your work, you could get out of that bed. And so you would feel guilty, in addition to feeling sick, Um, But it is actually true that the sickness is brought on, in part, by a desire to punish ourselves. So there are two factors always in an illness. One is a desire to withdraw. On an ego level, this is a desire to escape. And, on an ego level, the desire to punish ourselves. Now, as I say, it is not good for you to ask yourself... In what way am I trying to punish myself, or in what way am I trying to withdraw? The best thing to do is to simply be very compassionate, to realize that this choice is no different than any other choice you make in the world. It's no different than the choice of breakfast cereal you have in the morning, or the choice of the time you go to bed, or whether or not you get the junior-sized toothbrush, or the uh, natural bristles, or whatever, it's... It, It's all the same. And if you will treat your body with compassion and with gentleness, there will occasionally be insights. As a matter of fact, there will increasingly be insights that will come to you as to why you are sick. These are not asked for. These are not analyzed. This is just sort of a turning on the light bulb. You know, like in the comic strips, the light bulb goes on. And there's just a little insight. Now, another reason that it's not good to ask yourself why you're sick is because you will be looking for a single reason. And more often than not, it's the coming together of several things. Several things come together, and then you choose to get sick. I had an insight as to what had happened. I didn't analyze it, but it, there, there was an insight, and it was helpful for me to see this. I'd been over, uh, Gail and I had been over to some people's house, and I had made uh, 25 mistakes in a period of about three minutes. And I was aware of each one as I was making them. I recommended remedies. It's always a mistake to recommend remedies. Everybody has to get their own remedies, and to tout a remedy is, uh, is, is silly. And, of course, you remove yourself. If, if there's any possibility, of course, that you could stand in any way for peace or for the love of God, you've ruined it if you start recommending remedies or recommending anything in this world. Don't try to make a difference in the world. The ego does not understand this. Leave the world undisturbed and walk towards your father. Anytime you're trying to make a difference in someone else's life, you can be sure you're making a mistake. Stand gently for the truth. Walk peacefully toward the peace of God. And so I did that, and I, we talked about the West Coast falling into the sea. And I gave my opinions on that. And all, and I mean, I was just cooking them off. Everything I knew not to do. I was, uh, and afterwards, Gail and I, Gail did the same thing. oh but she says she didn't get sick that's true (laughs) I did more than (laughs) Gail so afterwards uh, we got by ourselves and we said what happened well what happened was we didn't pause before going into this house and uh, set our purpose for being there We just sort of walked in blind, and we had been caught up in some conversation, and we just walked in, and the whole situation was upon us before we uh, realized what was happening. And although I know better, I made an additional mistake. I really got down on myself for all these mistakes. I was actually angry at myself for these mistakes, and that anger went on for almost a full day. I could not understand how that had happened. And so, I finally did what I should have done right in the beginning, which is I turned to our Father, which is the only sane thing to do. All this self-analysis gets us nowhere. It just digs the hole deeper and deeper. And the insight that I got there was, your expectations of yourself are too high, have have very low expectations of yourself. And I had never seen that before. And this is another one of those things, of course, that goes around in um, in the general atmosphere, that somehow we are supposed to set our expectations high. This is a good thing. But we can see, can't we, what happens when we do that. We set ourselves up for a fall. So the insight was, Work hard. Work as hard as you can, but expect very little. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) But there was that. And then there was another factor, and this was another insight that came, which was that, of course, there are people who feel abandoned by the closing of this church that this church will close in a year. And I can remember, oh, a couple of years ago, a friend of ours, Gail's and ours, decided to uh, leave Santa Fe. And she called up all of her friends and she said, Santa Santa Fe just doesn't have anything for me anymore. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm here. (laughs) And I felt abandoned, although I could see her reasons for moving. And so, of course, I understand that people feel abandoned. I understand that. But I didn't understand the, that there is some anger along with this. And suddenly, it, I realized that I was picking this up and that I was fe- feeling a burden from this. So I was feeling a burden from the, some of the reactions that were going on to this announcement. And so the burden of that and the burden of many things that I thought that I had to do, like a, a couple of books that were overdue, people that I needed to call and getting their house ready so it can be sold and on and on and on and on. That plus the guilt and my ego thought it saw a way out. Now that was an insight. It didn't come through analysis, but it was very helpful. It was helpful for this reason. I now know this much more than I did last week, and I will pass it on to you. I must, from now on, watch my thoughts very carefully. I can see clearly that I'm going to be sick most of this year if I don't do this, because this situation will continue. There will continue to be people who will be unhappy. They'll be unhappy about the way the church is closed, no matter how we close it. They'll be unhappy about the day the church is closed. They'll be unhappy about not leaving the name for someone else to carry on. Why can't our group carry it on? Why can't this group carry it on? And so forth. And there will be misunderstanding about that, no matter how we do it. And there will be things that will need to be done, and I will make mistakes. And so what I know now that I must do if I'm not to spend the rest of this year being sick, one time after the other, is that I must watch my thoughts carefully. And any time that I see there's any sense of burden, and this you can do yourself, because this will always be a factor. It's as if the world begins to weigh too heavily. It's as if it seems unfair. You've got too many things to do. That's the feeling. Too much is expected of you. Whenever you have that feeling of being hassled, of it being unfair, of too much being expected of you, you might want to look at that because many of us use illness as a way of escaping that. And, of course, it does not escape it, as you can see, because the things are still there after the illness. And so, what I must do, I realize, is that I must see the thought, and then I must say to myself, All I can do is what I can do now. I will do what I can do now in peace, and I will not worry about what is going undone. That is the same thing to do. Whereas before what I was doing was, I was halfway doing what I could do now, and the other half of me was worrying about what still had to be done. And that is pain And we will choose some way to escape from pain. And the second thing that I must do is that I must watch my thought very carefully. For any tinge of guilt, any time I make a mistake, I must simply say, I was not as far along as I thought I was. (laughs) That's the simple fact. And so I will stop thinking how far along I am and just continue to walk home. For me to feel guilty is to make an additional mistake. And I do not wish to do that. So I'll walk home to my father instead. It's so interesting about these uh, calamities um, and how we look at them. Jordan, uh, our little uh, foot five, six months, he'll be six months next week. Mothers know these things. (laughs) Now, uh, we've been putting him in a little walker, and he hasn't been able to walk in the walker. Uh, But he... uh, he seems happy in the walker. I he has the illusion of being upright like other homo sapiens or something. I'm not sure what's going on there. And so um, Gail was running a bath. She's the one that's got to feel guilty for this one. Gail was running a bath and uh, had Jordan in there. I had him in there just the, uh, the day before. Nothing had happened. She- <laughs> <laughs> But he was in there in his walker, and she was running the bath, and she went out, and Melissa uh, came through the front door and heard a crash, and went in, and Jordan was underwater looking up, (laughs) and uh, Melissa had on her boots and everything, and she went right in after him, and uh, picked him up, and... There was not a single whimper. He was just looking up, and he was seemed somewhat surprised, but the whole world, of course, is surprising to you when you're five months old anyway. He never cried once. He obviously didn't breathe in any water. He was just looking up at the <laughs> bottom of the tub. Uh, so uh, the next thing that happened was John was over at a, little friends playing and we told John about this and John scolded us he said we should have left Jordan there until he got home so he could see it (laughs) (laughs) so you see how many different ways there are to get angry (laughs) and you think yours is the only way I will, I think I will blow my nose. May I blow my nose? You may blow your nose with me. Make me feel comfortable. Oh, I didn't bring, oh yes. You saw it here, kids. So let's talk a little bit about watching thought. Since the beginning of this year, we have been talking about fundamentals, the basics. Because I told you I wanted to make this the best year that we can make it. And uh, Tui told me something very interesting. He said, uh, he came up to me after I announced uh, on that first Sunday that uh, this would be the last year of the church. He came up and he said, uh, I've noticed that whenever I say to the, to the audience Last time, that's when they sing it the best. (laughs) Um, And I've wanted it to be that kind of year for us. A year in which we come together. A year in which we see the source of our help. A year in which we see that we are brothers and sisters and that it does not matter when we come to this earth and when we leave it, where we live, how much we talk, Or any of these other silly things that we think are so important. But there is a connection. There is a soft, gentle light that passes from one heart to another. Let let me tell you uh, something very touching that happened to me just before the service. Uh, An acquaintance, uh, a woman that I know but not well, came up to me and said, I understand that you're sick, and I would like to uh, he- I would like to try to heal you through laying on of hands. Well, this was just a very touching and lovely thing, and I said, "Well, fine." And so uh, she went back into the office, and uh, uh, and I felt so blessed by her effort, by her uh, tenderness. And do you see this lovely chain that goes on in this earth from one brother to a sister to a sister to a brother and so on? This gift that's passed along from one person to another. It's certainly enough to make you cry. It is a courageous thing for someone to attempt to heal because there's always the question of, did you do it? <laughs> you see. And that's not the point, is it? It's the gift was offered, the blessing was given. I don't know how I got off on that. What was I talking about? Watching your thoughts. Okay. Um. <laughs> 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 watching your thoughts as they trail off in your <laughs> irrelevancies. <Okay>. Uh, well, <laughs> let's go back to watching your thoughts. Now. Oh, okay. Uh, so we've been talking about basics here at this church. And one of the things that I've found in this three-year ministry, if you would like to call it that, is that I find that I want to and that I must repeat things more rather than less. In the beginning, I was horrified about repeating things, and then I realized that my guidance repeated itself over and over and over again. Haven't you noticed that when you pray, how often the same thing comes And now you see it again and you say, gosh, why can't I learn this lesson? And how patient our father is with us. Or your teacher or whatever name you have for your best friend. And so I found that I must do this. I must talk about the same things over and over. Often in the same words. Because the truth is so simple. The way home is so simple, it's not easy, but it's simple. And once we begin to see the simplicity of it, then we see the absolute ridiculousness of discouragement. Discouragement is the belief that it's not simple. It may be difficult, but it's never too difficult because all we're being asked to do is to take the next step. The difficulty comes in our telling ourselves the next 25 steps. But who has asked us to judge what the next 25 steps are? And who is in a position to know what they are? Merely the step that we must take today. The anger that we choose to step back from today is the only anger we must deal with. The love that we wish to extend to another today is the only love that we must deal with. And the only way in which we are asked to leave this world today is to simply to enter peace a little more than we did yesterday. Just a little more. And so first we talked about peace. Yeah, I have forgotten what we talked about secondly. What was the second thing we talked about? How staying in the present... <laughs> That's why I couldn't remember it. <laughs> See how good I'm getting at this? <clears throat> See, you thought those pauses were deep meditations, didn't you? <laughs> oh, he's getting his inspiration. <laughs> And a third fundamental, and this is so basic, I can't stress this too much, and I know you've heard me talk about this, but please listen to it very carefully, because I can assure you there is no one in this room who is doing this adequately yet, any more than you're adequately making peace your only goal, or adequately staying in the present. You know you're not yet doing this perfectly. And this third thing, I can assure you that you're not yet doing perfectly, that there's much room for advancement, which means that there's much room for happiness in your life. Much more room for happiness in your life. And here's the way in which it can come. And that is to pay very careful attention to your thought. Now, one of the reasons that this is so important is, and we mentioned this last time, and that is there is this sense that there is no limit to our personal ego. That there is no limit of what we are capable of doing. And so we do something that we didn't think we were capable of, and then we say, gosh, what more am I capable of? And of course there are things that you are not capable of any longer. Most of you are not hurting people in a direct way any longer. You are not going out and mugging and raping and trying to uh, uh, get people, uh, make people go bankrupt in their business and uh, uh, assassinating other people's personalities and all this kind of stuff. Of course there are things that you're beyond. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of you who could actually say to yourself, why don't I just do whatever I would like to do? And if you were to do whatever you would like to do, you would not hurt anyone because you are actually beyond direct ways of hurting. It's the indirect ways that you haven't yet seen. And so it is very important that you understand that your ego has certain limits. That... It is your ego, and all you have to do is deal with your ego before you personally awake. Don't let metaphysical uh, arguments confuse you. In the dream, the Son of God dreams himself as different people. The Son of God has scattered himself and dreams himself as various people. And he wakes up individually. You will wake up individually. You will wake up, in all probability, with someone else or with other people. There will be a little family or or a little group, perhaps, which you don't need to spend any time trying to figure out who composes that and, and so forth. But you will wake up. You will have a sense of your waking up, even though you will wake up to the fact that there's only one identity. But there's only one self. That we are all one. That no one is left out. That no one is unwanted. That no one can do anything bad enough that they will be turned from by our Father who is our home and our self. That will not happen. But you must see that. And how must you see it? You must see it By, at some point, taking the identity that you have established in the world and seeing that you do not wish it, that it does not serve you any longer. Not that you hate it or despise it, but that it is no longer of use to you. That you do not wish to serve your body any longer. It's not that you neglect your body or that you turn against your body. In fact, you treat it with far more kindness when you begin to see this, far more gentleness. But that everything in the world doesn't have to serve your body. And that you don't have to go out and spend all of your time and your thought and your efforts to make your body more popular or better looking or richer or to give it special advantage or anything else. All you need to do is to keep it happy. Remember the dog on the, in the corner that's on the old dirty rug? And you open its little can of, uh, what, purina or whatever the thing is. Give it what you give it what it wants, but you don't overindulge it. You keep it happy. And that's what you do with your body. You take good care of it. You see, so it doesn't have a fit. But what do you serve? You serve your awakening. You serve your spirit. That's what happens on a spiritual path. There is this lovely turning away from all this personal interests. And how will you ever see what your personal interests are if you don't look at your thought? What is it that your thought turns to over and over again? It's very interesting Uh, Gail and and Melissa and I have been talking about this recently. and, And with every person, there is a central subject, or at least one or two central subjects, that the thought returns to over and over and over again. And to that person, this seems to be the logical thing for them to be thinking about. With mine, it's this church. My my thought returns to this church over and over and over again. Now where is the sanity in that? Why not worry about my finances? Why not worry about my uh, children? Why not worry about my animals? Why not worry about my uh, truck that I haven't put antifreeze in yet? (laughs) Why not worry about my appearance? Why not worry about my parents? Why not worry about uh, the weather? Why not worry about uh, nuclear war? Why not worry about pollution? Why not worry about cruelty to children? Why not worry about on and on and on? Do you see where's the logic to this? But your ego, you must get to know it, has picked an idol one or two, perhaps three, but generally there is one central sort of nugget there that it rolls on the tongue. It's a delicacy. And the thought and the mind returns to it over and over and over again. You must see what this is, and you must see what the other things are. And then you will see that there's a limit to all of this. Of course it comes from your past, And so as you let it go, you let your past go and you let your ego go and it weakens. And as it weakens, your mind brightens and you become happier. Now, one of the very widespread er, uh, errors in this spiritual practice that I'm speaking of now. This simple business of watching carefully your thoughts as you go through the day, just seeing what they are. It is very good to write this down, incidentally. Anything that you can do to begin to identify your mind and how it operates, your ego mind I'm speaking of, and how it operates is good. And so writing it down is very good. This can give you an excellent picture of how your ego mind operates. Now, I, I, now, I'll now i tell you, there's some pain in this. There's some embarrassment in this. You will be shocked. But as it is now, you think there's no end to it. There is an end to it. Look at all the things that you're not worrying about, all the things that you're not attacking in your mind. See that there's a limit to it. Don't be afraid to look. But a very prominent error is that people look at their thoughts as if they were a mistake. Do you see what I mean? So, here you are watching your thought, but you're judging it as you watch it. And so you're saying, oh, I'm thinking about so-and-so, I shouldn't be thinking about that. And now you're in a war with your own mind. So as you watch, you must understand that you're watching it the way you might watch the formation of the clouds. And surely all of you have done that. You've laid on your your back when you were a child and you looked up and you looked at the clouds and you saw the different animals in the clouds. And that's all you're doing. Just seeing what shapes your thoughts take. They take particular shapes and there are other shapes that they don't take. But do not judge it do not condemn yourself if you do that you are increasing your sense of identity with your ego is that clear you are you are thinking that you are your ego mind when you criticize your ego mind but if you will just look at it and simply say obviously i've got an ego let's face the facts i've got an ego now, am I going to look at it and see what, what, how it operates or am I just going to go on and let it operate in shadow and control me through what means I don't know? And the answer, of course, is no. The time has come for you to look at your ego and see how it operates. And the only way to do that is to not judge it in the looking, not criticize it in the looking. You're just going to see what it's made of, how it operates. Now, another thing that's another error is this business of denial, uh, the practicing of stillness, and and all that. Uh, This business of uh, dismissal turning away, and so forth. This is a very good practice, a very good spiritual practice, if it comes at the right point. But it, you must understand that anything you learn on your way home, any spiritual tool that you tuck in your belt, your ego will come up with a misuse for it. And so you want to watch that. Now, the misuse for denial and dismissal is that you dismiss it before you look at it. So it is a good thing and I gave you a practice I think last Sunday about how you could practice stillness. At least I I, I suggested that some of you might like to try this and that others would find find it uh, exasperating. And that was that I told you that what I do is that when I'm walking from one place to another, driving one place to another, I say I will be still from from this point to that point. Or if I'm doing some task, I will be still until I finish washing all the cups. Or I'll be, I'll, my mind will be quiet until I finish washing these plates. Now, there will be thoughts that will enter in during that period. And you don't want to dismiss those thoughts. Here's what you want to do. You want to freeze them in your stillness. Your stillness is like one of these ray guns, you know, that the kids use. And they, you know, if you've seen any of the movies, there's one kind of ray that just turns people into blocks of ice. And so that's what you want to have. You want to have your little ray gun, you see. And when you see a thought flicker through your mind, zap it, turn it to ice, freeze it, and look at it. Don't be afraid to do this. Don't criticize yourself. Because that's what your ego wants you to do, to jump immediately into some form of self-castigation. What you want to do is look at it and just see it. Everything that you can see about it. Once again, if you can write this down, all the better. You will see more if you write it down. But don't do that if that's a tremendous burden. If it's a little bit of a burden, do it. <laughs> a little bit of a burden Okay. My birthday tomorrow, and uh, Gil asked me what I wanted for my birthday. Uh, I told you uh, – thank you. <laughs> um, I told you that uh, the body reaches a point in which uh, you can't uh, abuse it the way you used to most people's bodies. There are some people that seem to be able to – you know, you read about – some old guy, it's 120. How did you get there it's from smoking cigarettes? <laughs> Fifth of bourbon every day. And so, you know, all this uh, And there are a few people like that. <laughs> My body has reached that point, people. <laughs> uh, Gals and our body fortunately reached that point together about a year or so ago. And so there were many things that we simply had to eliminate from our diet. Either, either that or we just weren't going to feel, feel good. But... You don't want to have a sense of sacrifice, and so there are occasions, you see. And so, although I don't eat uh, sugar, I of course give you lots of sugar to eat. We we provide you with all kinds of sugar to eat after the service. I'm very sorry about last time. <laughs> although I did I think maybe there are a few less people. Here. <laughs> hey, I'm not sure. <laughs> Um. So I uh, she said, "What would you like?" And I thought, I thought, and I said, "Fudge." <laughs> so uh, John, uh, Gail told uh, John that uh, tomorrow was my birthday. He said, "Oh, is Daddy going to have a cake?" And and she said, "No, he's going to have fudge." He said, "Fudge." <laughs> Why would anybody want fudge? <laughs> I'd never looked at the word that way. You know, it, it, this it sounds awful. Huh? Fudge. You got Why would you want to put something like that in your mouth? Okay. 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 <laughs> We've got about 10 minutes more. And um, I think what we'll do is people tend to sit in the same place each Sunday it's very interesting i i you know whenever i want to see if so and so's, now you must understand that i am myopic so i don't know who is attending past about uh, row 5 or 6 do you see <laughs> um you're you're just sort of shades of pastel back in the back house you see however um since people do tend to sit in the same place uh why don't we end by uh, just seeing if there are any questions on this side, because we didn't get to this side last time. And uh, so if any of you have any, anything that you'd like to say about the work that you've been doing, especially I want to encourage those of you who have been working very hard. It, often the people who haven't been working hard are the ones who ask the questions, and the ones who have are reluctant out of a, out of a sense of modesty or something. Uh, Or a sense of failure almost, because when you work very hard, you have this sense sometimes that you're not making much ground. And so you don't feel like you are worth, uh, that you're not worthy to get up up and ask a, a question. But if you've been working hard, you have been running across the same problems that these other people have and that I have. And so your insight or your question about a particular thing that you're running up against in your life can be very helpful if it comes from your experience and so forth. So I won't go through the roles because we don't have time. Yes? Would you speak about turning to the Father? All right. Now, of course, you must understand that it's obvious, I'm sure, to everyone that The Course in Miracles and that I and that almost everyone who speaks on this subject uh, knows that it's totally silly to think of God as having a sex. And so the question sometimes comes up, why do you use the word Father? Why does the Course in Miracles use only masculine terminology uh, and only masculine pronouns? I know of no easy way around this subject, uh, and so what I have opted to do is simply to use the words that call to me And this is very, very personal, and that's why every church has its own style. Every uh, person, every teacher, has his or her own style. Because we, we, we go back to our own experience, and then we take the words that we personally love, and those are the ones, of course, that we use. It's always best to speak in the language of the person that you are trying to help. But in an audience unless you have a specific characteristic to the audience, you then mostly go in back to your own uh, terminology. But if you're working with a p- specific individual, never insist on your terminology. And there are people, many people that I speak to, that I do not use masculine terminology. I do not even use Christian terminology. I do not even use spiritual terminology if I sense some resistance to this. I try to speak in the language in which they can hear the truth and not the language in which I would prefer to speak it. So let me first make that clear. I personally use the word Father because it means something to me. It calls to my heart to think of God as my Father. And there's nothing literal about that. So by turning to the Father, I simply mean turning to truth, turning to love, turning to that which is fully awake, going back home. And it's such a simple process. Remember last time when we took a moment to think about grievances, and then we took a moment to think about gentle things, peaceful things, kind things that people had done, and you felt the difference, you felt your mind contract with the grievances, and you felt your mind lighten, with looking at the light, there is no more to it than that. To walk home, you have to look in that direction. You will walk in the direction that you're looking. That's why you must not be angry. I'm not talking about acting angry. It's, of course, best not to act angry because you get other egos involved and you make the problem bigger. Now it seems to be outside of yourself where you can't handle it. So acting out your anger, of course, gives you the sense of, "Oh, now it's outside of me and all these other people involved, and it's "I can't do anything about it." So it's of course best not to act angry, but in a sense, it's almost irrelevant. whether you act it out or not, act it out. It just makes it a little easier if you don't. But I'm talking about being angry. It is not necessary to be angry. But the only way you will know this is to know that you are not angry in your heart. Otherwise, you think you're being honest by being angry. And you're not being honest by being angry. You're being dishonest when you're angry. Because you're being dishonest and disloyal to your heart and to your father and to your brother and your sister. And you're not helping the world. You're continuing the thing that's gone on for thousands of years. Attack and counterattack. Find fault and find fault back. Identify the, uh, the problem and then attack it. Identify the bad guys and denounce them. Leave the world undisturbed. Do not make a difference in the world. This is the way to bless your brother and sister. What you're trying to do is to awake people. Awake people from the dream. And how can you awake them from the dream if you attack the dream? It will make it seem all the more real because you're dealing with it as if it's real. And so to turn to your father simply means that you honor your heart. Listen to your heart. And your heart will tell you that you want to be good and kind. And your heart will tell you that you are not angry at this person. But you must listen to it or you won't know that. It'll be, it will be dishonest. You'll be telling yourself something that you don't really believe. And so you've got to sit. And you've got to become still. And if you will do this, you will see that you are not angry. And that you are gentle and peaceful. And that is turning to your Father. Because you are uniting with peace. And your Father is peace. Okay, we've got a couple more minutes. Yes? Hi. Um, last week, we answered a question uh, about the responsibility of illness. And you said, there's many germs out there. you <coughs> crazy to think that you're responsible for creating an illness. And I thought this week, you said, that there is more responsibility for that. That in some part, you must take responsibility. Yes. All right. Now that, I can see where that would be confusing. Um, here's this is this can be a very confusing uh, point. I have to stand here like a gun shooter in order to get down to these. Uh, oh, Raise these things. All right. Now um, <clears throat> the world is a dream, and it's already set up, our responsibility is that we are dreaming. Up to a certain point, a very, very late point in your journey home, there isn't much you can do about your particular role in the dream. You simply were born to particular people, you grew up in a certain city, you had certain experiences, and you're going to go through certain things. Now, the problem is that people think that the world is good and bad, that part of it's healed and part of it's not healed. And so there's great judgment. And so people do think there's a difference between being sick and being well. There is no difference between being sick and being well in the world. God has nothing to do with physical health. Physical health is not further along than spirit and than physical sickness. It's in the world. It's all the same. Everything is the same in the world. And it's already set up. And so in the world, people get sick. And in the world, people get mad at each other. And in the world, people get cheated in stores. And in the world, there are traffic accidents. And in the world, you get tickets unjustly. And in the world, there are wars. What, 40%, 45% of the world is always at war and always has been at war? Is that the statistic? And in the world, there are plagues. In the world, there are are hailstorms that damage crops. And there are typhoons. And there are earthquakes. And in the world, there is this picking up of certain people and exalting them and making them famous. And there's this picking up of certain people and making them rich. And often, they will tell you they don't really know how it happened. This happened and that happened, but... They can't really claim too much to do with it. And people think, ah, that's good. To, to have the, the richness and the fame is good. And to be able to uh, smoke and drink and uh, party and uh, swing when you're 98, this is wonderful. Is it? Is it really? Does that bring you any closer to your father? Of course it's not. You see how silly that is, and are the people who have been singled out for great praise or great wealth or so forth by the by the course of things. Are they really any happier? Are they any really really any nearer home? And so you are not responsible for the particulars of this dream. You're not responsible for the way the thing's set up and trying to ask yourself what does this mean what does that mean means that you are looking at the particulars and you're judging you're saying this is bad i lost my luggage what does it mean it means that the airplane lost your luggage that's what it means it means no more than that they lost your luggage they lose a lot of people's luggage it doesn't mean anything god is not sending you a cryptic message some code that you've got to figure out this simply is not happening Forget the world. Stop looking at it. Stop asking questions about it or analyzing or reading its signs or anything else. The world is not God. The world is a dream. It is senseless. It is laughable. It is momentary. Turn from it to the truth and to the light. And so what difference does it make? Were you responsible for the little things that happened in your dream last night? Not while you were dreaming, do you see? While you were dreaming, you were caught up in the dream, and the whole thing seemed to have a course. But you were responsible for choosing to go to sleep and dream, and you did wake up. Now, there is, of course, a time that comes very, very late on the spiritual path, in which, if you wish, and I've said this many times, you can manipulate the world. But it comes at the same instant that you will choose not to do so. Because you will see the complete senselessness of this. You will see that this dream is the dream of a disturbed dreamer, and that if you change the dream, the dreamer will simply change it into some other form of disturbance. So if you eliminate uh, the plague, well, we didn't eliminate the plague, did we? What did we eliminate? Smallpox. If you eliminate smallpox, then we come up with, uh, what's the new one now? AIDS. And this is always the way it's going to be, do you see? It's always going to be that way. Don't fight this battle, people. Don't fight this battle anymore. Don't try to get people to behave. Things don't have to go right. Just walk home to your father and carry as many as you can with you. I love you and I bless you and I thank you for coming.